Coming soon to a city near you, Vinitaly Roadshow. Have you ever wondered how to attend Vinitaly for free? Are you a wine trade professional interested in a sponsored trip to Vinitaly International Academy or Vinitaly, the wine and spirits exhibition? Coming soon to Princeton, New Jersey, Harlem, New York, and Chinatown in New York City, Cardiff in Wales, London in England, and Roost in Austria. We'll be giving away our new textbook, Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0. Find out more about these exciting events and for details on how to attend, go to liveshop.vinitaly.com. Limited spots available. Sign up now. We'll see you soon. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. Hello, everybody. Our fireside guest is Andrea Biatta. And you see, you can see his potty hat, which means that he's very new to Clubhouse. So happy new year, everybody. And welcome to Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. This is the first episode, first call of 2023. I hope you guys all had a very nice new year. And I don't know what you guys have been up to. Let's let's hear what Anna's up to. Anna, ciao, Anna. Ciao, Stevie. Ciao. It's a pleasure Anna, to be here. Uh, Anna Obhovskaya is a our <laughs> super mod. When uh, you know, she's been. I think how many uh, episodes have you hosted here? How many calls? This is uh, this is my fourth uh, interview, and doing them because it's so very much interesting. Yes, I know your your pods have been really, really excellent, incredibly well prepared. So I'm sure this no undoubtedly will be another very interesting um, call for us. I just wanted to remind everyone that this will be this episode will be replayed, as you know, on the Italian Wine Podcast. Just some, I wanted to share with you some trivia. So you know, I don't know. Most of you may know this. We had started Italian Wine Podcast. Way back in 2017, and the first year, we had about 22,000 listens, and we thought, wow, that's exciting. And then things started slowly to build up, and the past 12 months, from January to uh, December, you won't believe this, but we had more than 3 million listens, and that's thanks to all of you, all the Mod Squad, especially the on the clubhouse. And of course, Laika, our clubhouse manager, and more importantly, Joy Livingston, our Italian wine podcast producer. Laika, ciao, Laika. Ciao, Stevie. So are you still married? <laughs> I'm still married. <laughs> when did you get married? I can't remember. It seems October, like such a long time. October. October, yeah. October and you're 9. still married. Congratulations. <laughs> What did you yeah. What did you do do during the holidays? Um, nothing really. It's just a lot of um eating here and there with the family. You know, 
So family of mother's side, father's side, everybody. So I gained weight. <laughs> I no, I can't does. believe you're skinny as a rail. I don't believe that for <laughs> a minute. All right. Okay, so let's start the show. As you know, for those of you, Anna is an old-timer here. She's, she is now based in Slovenia, and she has 13 years of experience in wine marketing and sales. She worked in many, many places like Metro, uh, Cash and Carry, Luding, which is an, a, a very big wine importer in Russia. And uh, she was the best caviste of 2011. Is that true? Yes, uh, within within Metro Kishin Kerry, Russia. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, she's very dear to our community, via community, because she, she did her course via community 2021 in Verona. And I have to confess, there were many of you. How many, how many Russians did we have? About, like, I think 13 or 15, like a very... Um, big contingency of uh, delegation of um, Russians. That's right. It was a big group that yeah. That, yeah. And I think you you were the only one who passed the course. Uh, well, no, I wasn't the one. <laughs> it was Daria. Uh, you weren't. No, I'm 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 making my try in uh, this next coming uh, um, Verona program. Oh, great! You yeah. will no. So I'm who preparing. who did it? Oh, Daria, Daria. Daria. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a very, very challenging, I would say, addition for you guys. Also, you guys came at the last minute and it was very challenging. So I'm sure with all the experience that you have now, you will become our next Italian wine ambassador. I'm very excited to host you and come. And you're close now. Yes, I'm. Uh, um... But Anna, I have some good news and bad news for you. What, what do you what do you want first? Uh, start with uh, bad. <laughs> okay. The bad news is that um, we have a new textbook. So now you have to restudy the new textbook. It's actually a good news because I felt like... And that that's was- why it's the good news. <laughs> that's what I was about to say. <laughs> have you? Did you get a hold of the book yet? Yes. Yes, I ordered. Okay. All right. So uh, it's supposed to get to our office we went to print before the holidays, but it's actually come. The physical copies are coming to our office, I believe, on Monday. But you can, of course, get your com, uh, your copy on Amazon worldwide. It and it is called. What is it called, Anna? I, I'll give you an extra point on your exam. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Stevie. <laughs> it's called Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay. All right. So, Anna, I'm going to let you get on with your show now, but tell us why you selected Andrea Biatta uh, uh, to be on the call today. Oh, well, um, you know, uh, answering this, uh, I have to tell why how I discovered his wines. In November 2022, I was on a Gita Scholastica trip uh, in the area of Isaiah Lake in Lombardia with other VIA ambassadors. And we had a deep dive into the wines of Franci Corta and with producers and tasted nearly 60 different Franci Corta that t- during several days. And Le Marquisina, uh, the estate of Andrea Beata, was one we visited and it was quite impressive because Andrea conducted a comprehensive tour and gave us a very, very professional 
uh, and precisely detailed information on all the technical aspects of French quarter production. And, you know, getting to know him, uh, I must say that in my eyes, Andrea is a bright representative of the new generation of French quarter producers. And I really, really wanted you all to meet him as well, because Andrea is very passionate about his wines and his business, and he understands the peculiarities. And he's also very energetic, and um, and he has to develop in the Marquisine estate. So that's why. Great. I here. was actually very jealous that you guys got to um, drink from morning till dawn, Franciacorte, yeah, all was, day long for really several a, days. A fantastic- because I held seminars, I did uh, some consult some consulting on uh, choosing different French quarter on the markets I work with. So it was really, really useful um, for for work. Excellent. All right. So Anna, as you know, before we start your interview, your call with Andrea today, um, we need to understand what are the learning objectives that we should expect from your call today. Well, um, I, I think that uh, Franciacorta is uh, one of the wines in Italy that made by Metodo Classica and it's noble. Uh, and of course, uh, the Italy ambassadors um, know, know about it uh, quite well. But I, uh, I also would like to highlight that it's a wine of really high quality standards. And I would like us to learn today more about what makes French Corta that special uh, and different from other sparkling wines of Italy with the help of Andrea. Excellent. So, Anna, this is, as you know, where I leave you and I shut up, which rarely happens. So take full advantage of that. And I will come back towards the end to see if, there, if there's any extra time to ask him some additional questions. Okay. Over to you, Anna. Great, thank you. So uh, let me introduce uh, Andre Beata. He is born and raised in Franciacorta, and after finishing high school, uh, which was foreign language and commercial school, he starts working in the winery to learn all the production process. So this was the beginning of the actual role he plays in the winery. And as an owner and expert manager, with a glimpse also on marketing and communication. So. Andrea, nice to have you here today. Hello. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's very interesting and also challenging for me to to be here in this type of podcast. First time. Sorry again about the little technical issue, but I'm a very fresh user of this platform. Sorry. No worries, Andrea. Uh, you know, you uh, the visit uh, to La Marquisina, uh, I remember very clearly because it was such a great uh, impression and uh, all the details, all the precise details you gave us uh, on the technical process. So uh, today I would like you um, to talk about uh, your estate and tell us a bit more about what makes Franciacorta so special. So my first question would be, uh, could could you please tell us a brief history of La Marquisina, like when it was found and who is in charge of what um, in making wines? I as understand uh, it's family business, right? 
Yeah, exactly. It's a family business. The winery was founded by my grandfather Giovanni in 1985. Uh, but uh, before moving here to the Francia Corta area, uh, my family used to have another winery in the southern uh, area of the province of Brescia, where we used to produce uh, white and red still wine, of course. But uh, my grandfather's dreams was to, to produce uh, sparkling wine. So when he had the chance, uh, he switched to, Lefran- to Francia Corta. And everything started from, uh, from that. We started with a very small production of around uh, uh, 10,000 bottles per vintage. And slowly we grow up uh, until uh, nowadays uh, where uh, the company is owned by my father, my sister and me. Uh, we take care of about 50 hectares of vineyard in uh, the appellation of Francia Corta. And uh, we produce a little uh, less than half million bottles per, uh, per year. Uh, it was uh, challenging again, but uh, it's, uh, it's like a old style democracy where there's a team where everybody does uh, ev- a little bit of everything. Uh, and the Vinification is uh, a responsibility of uh, all of us, together along with our uh, enologist, which is uh, a consultant, and he's uh, Jean-Pierre Valag, who's coming from France. Oh, very interesting. So, and what what are your uh, duties in the winery? I know that you're a multitask person. Yeah, I try to to cover uh, everything uh, it needs to be done. Uh, I always make fun uh, of my most stressful uh, part of the in the winery is the driving the forklift uh, during the harvest time, which is very frenzy, but uh, I find that uh, very uh, enjoyable. But uh, I do mostly communication, marketing, and of course uh, uh, I take care of uh, all the export. Uh, that happens in uh, in our uh, in our winery. Well, you 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 are very um, you have a very good uh, personality for uh, this type of um, job. I think uh, for with working with communication because you are a very um, communicative person. I'm I must say from knowing you, and uh, I know that um, you're you're um, uh, going deep. With uh, with your profession, I know that you took some uh, sommelier courses uh, uh, before. So why why was it important for you? Why you did that? Yeah, actually, I'm just waiting uh, for my level two from the WSIT exam to come in. I am expecting them uh, in a few days. Hopefully, I passed. Uh, first yeah, of all, hope, uh, I hope so. <laughs> I wish you pass it. Yeah, no, I mean um, the the biggest um, challenge for me was to change uh, my mind during uh, the tasting session. Uh, of course, it was important to increase my knowledge about uh, uh, the wine all over the world. Um, I might be a little bit knowledgeable about uh, Italian wines, of course based uh, especially on my experience but um, the world of wine it's uh, so big and so huge I wanted to know more so these are the two main reasons but um, again it was quite difficult uh, to approach uh, the tasting sessions uh, 
in a different way. And I think uh, to improve also in the uh, winery uh, side, uh, it's very important also to understand uh, how professional, especially professional, uh, thinks when they taste the wines and uh, not just uh, reflecting uh, what I have uh, in front of me or what I think uh, this wine will develop based on my experience. And it's a little bit of a, a full package because increasing the knowledge about uh, the world we, we produce wine in, it's uh, also a way to start to understand uh, what's uh, outside uh, uh, my comfort zone, which is, of course, Francia Corta, because as, as you said, I was born and raised here and uh, I feel uh, very, very comfortable uh, here uh, or here in Francia Corta and talking about uh, uh, sparkling wine and traditional method wine, most of all. Italian Wine Podcast, brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it's very important. Uh, I agree. It's very important to look um, at wine from a professional point of view, uh, to see it from the point of somebody else sometimes. Because uh, when we talked, I felt like uh, you speak the same language with us, you know, explaining the wines and explaining all the details and the process and everything. So I could really feel that uh, connection while we talked. And that's uh, what um, in many times missing when um, professional uh, experts come to winery and talk to the producers. So good good for you. It's it's, it's really an important and, and a good step to yeah. my point. Can I just add one thing that uh, probably uh, due to my background uh, being born and raised in a winery, I probably assume that uh, sometimes uh, we as a winemaker or wine producer, we give... Uh, too many things for granted uh, based uh, on the uh, production uh, aspect. Uh, let's say uh, this uh, WSAT experience uh, was very positive for me as uh, I always known uh, that uh, warmth, uh, humidity was affecting the, affecting the uh, maturation of the, of the grapes. But uh, I actually just... Uh, always said yes i know it uh, and it's i took that for granted uh, always 100% of the time so i would say that this experience uh, uh, was also developing uh, the way to talk to people about uh, our point of view without uh, giving uh, too many things for granted i would say yeah it's a good point how you how you put it and uh tell me andrea uh, how many wineries are in franciacorta uh area nowadays so um in the consortium there are one hundred and thirty two wineries uh outside the consortium there are about twenty wineries uh the difference is that uh, the wineries outside the consortium can uh, be part uh, of the communication and the events uh, that uh, our consortium makes but uh, that's pretty much the the only difference because 
outside that uh, everybody needs to follow the same uh, uh, rules the same laws so it's just a technical uh, things uh, everything started during the appellation uh, in the 60s uh, with the first winery to develop these uh, traditional methods sparkling wine it was uh, i can tell you the name because uh, there's no absolutely problem also with this producer it's a big, it's a quite good friend of my father too uh, it's uh, the winery guido berlucchi in 1961 then slowly uh, other wineries started to develop this uh, working process uh, at the beginning of the 80s uh, we were about uh, 27 to 35 wineries. The big boom uh, of uh, the winery came uh, uh, after the, the new century. So after the year 2000, uh, we, can, we saw a big uh, improve uh, of number of the wineries. But uh, yeah, now the number are uh, this one. Thank you. And um, could you also tell... Uh about the most uh, specific traits of Franciacorta area, what, uh, to your point, influences the style and what makes Franciacorta so different from other Spartan method or classic uh, wines in Italy? So, uh, I can tell you that uh, one of the things that uh, usually uh, we give for granted is the uh, weather condition. We are uh, in a... Um, in a northern area of uh, Italy, so we are in Lombardy. We are just below the Mount uh, of the Alpi, and we are closer to. We are very close to the Lake of Iseo. All these uh, aspects uh, give us, uh, even if we are a quite small area, because we are talking about a forty uh, square kilometer area. We have uh, many different uh, weather. Uh, uh, conditions. This, uh, together with the soil condition, where we have a flatland, which is uh, uh, most rich in uh, sand, and uh, um, which is quite uh, common. Then we have uh, gentle and soft hill, where we have uh, a bit more of clay. And then uh, we have uh, the mountains, or actually not all uh, mountains, but uh, a bit more steep hill, where we have uh, uh, rocks. Uh, the trait of the vinification, uh, it's a traditional sparkling method. Uh, most of uh, the appellation uh, uses stainless steel tanks uh, for uh, the first uh, vinification process, even though it's not forbidden to use uh, oak. And then we have second natural fermentation in the bottle. This was uh, a groundbreaking uh, uh, technique here in Italy as uh, uh, we set a standard, a very high standard, as uh, the Francia Corta area appellation has uh, been awarded as the first ever DOCG appellation about uh, a traditional metal sparkling wine in Italy. Yes, yeah, speaking about uh, speaking about weather, I must say we visited you uh, in uh, November and it was quite warm, you know, um, we discussed that already because because you even didn't i mean i th- i think you were was wearing a t-shirt and i i was just wearing a, a light jacket and that's it so it was uh, it was quite warm for november for uh, northern italy 
you know, so so climate is really the key. And to my impression, from what we tasted during the visit to Franciacorte area, I must say that the style of Franciacorte wines is so soft. You know, it's also uh, has has to do with uh, with the soils, but it's also it has this feeling. You know, uh, um, if you com- if I would compare it with a painting or with a, with I would I would say with an art, I would say it's a pencil drawing by Raphael because it has such soft lines. You know, in in all French quarters we've tried has this very soft feeling in the taste. You know, it's not bone dry. It's not uh, sharp acidity as uh, it might be on the um, chalky soils of um, um, of champagne. But it has this really soft uh, uh, character uh, in Franciacorta. What do you, What do you think? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, I remember we talked uh, about this uh, during your visit, uh, and um, just a, cu- a quick uh, uh, thought about uh, the climate. Uh, unfortunately, like uh, all the rest of the world, we are experiencing uh, some major change, and uh, it was quite uh, uncommon to to have uh, such warm, uh, such a warm uh, uh, November. And uh, yes, I remember I was just wearing uh, a, a T-shirt with uh, a, a, a very light uh, jacket, but uh, it was warm. Uh, this is going to be uh, the, the, the future challenge we are going to, to have. But uh, still to this day, I can tell you that um, uh, if we leave uh, the fruit on the plant, uh, we will get to a full uh, ripening uh, uh, fruit. So uh, our... Uh, choice uh, it's our choice to have a uh, uh, early uh, harvest so that's why probably we have uh, uh, a less aggressive uh, uh, acidity it's a it's more balanced between uh, all the part uh, of uh, of the wine uh, that is coming from the fruit of course uh, we are 1000 1000 kilometers southern from france we have uh, a warmer climate uh, even uh, if we used to have uh, very cold uh, uh, winters, but uh, again, in August, uh, we can get uh, easily at 30, 35 uh, Celsius. So if uh, we wait uh, for mid-September to pick the grape, uh, we can uh, easily do uh, 12.5, 13 uh, uh, alcohol uh, white wine. So it's our choice uh, to find uh, a good uh, delta between uh, the alcohol we can develop, uh, the acidity that we have, uh, in order to have uh, a well-balanced acidity that will be not too harsh in the mouth, but still uh, granting our wine uh, a lot of freshness uh, during uh, all the uh, years that we age this uh, this wine in on the Surely. Yeah, I know that uh, some producers uh, start to use Herbamat grape variety, which is very acidic in order to fight, uh, in, in order to balance out this um, climate change, you know, in, in order to get uh, to, to get balance within this uh, climate change um, challenge. Do, I, do you think you will be using Herbamat as well? Do you... What, what do you think of using it? Uh, we uh, There's a, a couple of uh, 
things that have to be said about the Herbamac. Uh, I'm not a big fan, first of all. Uh, nevertheless, uh, uh, I try to to follow all the experimentation process uh, our uh, consortio did uh, in order to to understand uh, whether uh, at the end of the day this Herbamat could uh, give something uh, uh, more interesting to us. The Herbamat is uh, an autochthonous uh, uh, varietal of the Brescia province, but it's uh, most common to find this Herbamat on the Lake of Garda. Uh, we I would say we imported that, uh, first of all, uh, as you said, Anna, to increase the acidity on uh, the base of our cuvee. And now it could be used uh, also about this climate change. Uh, I can tell you that uh, we are uh, pointing nowadays a bit more toward uh, the development of a regional peewee varietal, so a resistant varietal. Uh, that could be probably even more interesting uh, as uh, it can reflect uh, the aromas and the you know the the life cycle of uh, the varietal that we always used here in the appellation, which are Chardonnay, Pinot Blanc, or Pinot Bianco, and Pinot Noir or Pinot Nero, as you want to to call them. But uh, yeah, it could be interesting, uh, the project uh, of our consortium about Herbamat. It's uh, still developing, uh, even if it's a project that now it, it has about uh, eight or nine years, I would say. But uh, yeah, it's uh, something that uh, it, needs, it takes time. And like everything uh, in the wine uh, uh, business, uh, it takes time to, to take uh, uh, to have a result or even to have uh, uh, an idea of uh, the final result uh, that can be. Well, since you mentioned uh, grape varieties, could you please speak on the role of each variety in uh, French Quarter production uh, in, in, in the blend? Uh, what what each uh, uh, variety gives to a blend in French Quarter? Yes, absolutely. So, um, uh, Chardonnay, it's the most uh, uh, used, the most common, and the most uh, widely planted uh, to these days also. Uh, it uh, reflects uh, pretty much uh, the elegance and the finesse. Uh, it's the, the one that also works uh, better on the tree soil, uh, I would say macro group of soil that we have, as it can develop uh, a good uh, bouquet of aroma from the sand to the rock soil. Of course, uh, the rock soil um, grants also a bit more of uh, minerality and uh, a bit of more uh, depth in the flavors. But uh, Chardonnay is also the one uh, that uh, it's easier to, to grow. It's quite uh, resistant to disease. And uh, the cluster, it's compact, but it's not too, uh, the, the, the berries are not too squeezed. Um, Pinot Noir, it's a varietal that uh, for many years was um, uh, a bit forgotten. And that was uh, something we have to, to regret a little bit. So shame on us about that. But um, there was a time here uh, in Italy that... Uh, 
there was a, a, a rejection for uh, rosé wines. And uh, as in the appellation, uh, uh, it's forbidden to do uh, a red, uh, a sparkling red. So we had the rosé. But I would say, Fred, that from uh, 2004 to 2009, I would say, um, most of the market was uh, rejecting the rosé. So there, it was uh, forbidden, no, not forbidden, but forgotten. So most of the wineries uh, stopped to plant uh, Pinot Noir. But on the long run, uh, it meant that uh, for about uh, 10 years, uh, we, we hadn't new uh, vineyard of Pinot Noir. But it's a very interesting varietal as um, it can develop uh, a nice uh, red fruit bouquet, even if uh, it's an early harvest. So we don't get uh, to full maturation. We, we wait uh, about uh, 35 to 40 days after the, after the horizon uh, to, to pick it. So there's no phenolic maturation, but uh, it's a good maturation point uh, between uh, what we need and what uh, a proper Pinot Noir uh, can give you. And uh, it's a very interesting wine. Actually, we were one also of the first winery here in the Appellation to produce a uh, Blanc de Noir. So uh, a white wine, a white France Corta made with uh, only Pinot Noir uh, grapes. And the last but not least, the Pinot Bianco, which is uh, actually the, the origin of the Appellation starts from the Pinot Bianco. In the 60s, there was very little knowledge about uh, the difference between uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Bianco. So everything was called Pinot, 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 uh, but it was Pinot Blanc, Pinot Bianco. And uh, even if there's no aromatic uh, varietal in our appellation, we use the Pinot Bianco almost as an uh, aromatic varietal. So it's the one that gives us a lot of uh, uh, white flower notes. And uh, it's very interesting. But uh, the downside of uh, the Pinot Bianco is that uh, is uh, very it's very weak so it it's the one that suffers most uh, diseases and uh, the cluster it's very compact the barrier the barriers very very are very very squeezed so the disease can uh, gives uh, us uh, some uh, hard times yeah well that's uh, that's very interesting um you know when we tasted uh wine uh together you mentioned that uh, uh you say the word uh, simple you, you take it as a compliment when somebody says uh, that about your wine why why is that why why you consider it a compliment the word simple you know um maybe because um sometimes um, we forget that uh, wine it's uh, as uh, is a food it's the same as uh, a, a dish you can order to a restaurant and um sometimes simplicity it's the hardest things uh, uh, is one of the hardest thing to to achieve uh, many many years ago my grandfather uh, uh, told me uh, and I remember that uh, a good bottle of wine uh, it's uh, an empty bottle of wine that uh, not because we need to to get drunk every time we we pop a bottle of wine but uh, it's because you enjoy so much the moment uh, you enjoy so much uh, the 
the food, the pairing also with the food, and uh, you enjoy so much the company of the people you are drinking this wine with, uh, that uh, the wine become like a, a, a side. It's there, you can feel it, uh, you enjoy it, you appreciate it, but at the same time, it's not the center of every conversation that you have. So for me, a simple wine, it's a wine that can be uh, enjoyed both from, uh, from the novice to the most uh, knowledgeable person about uh, wine in the world. Uh, that's just uh, a point of view. We are also consumers. So for us, uh, it's very important that also the, the final consumer don't uh, waste wine and money, leaving uh, half of the bottle on the table. That's uh, very well said, um, and it's uh, close to, to my opinion about the wine. No matter uh, how it was made, uh, of course we pay attention how it was made, where, and, uh, and, and etc., all the historic aspects and everything, all the cultural aspects, but um, I agree that it's always about enjoying the wine. You know, what's the point of, um, of everything else if you don't really enjoy the wine? <laughs> So that's really the key, and thank you for for mentioning that. Um, I know that you love history and mythology, and could you tell us about your choice uh, of names for for your cuvées? Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit of uh, a nerd about history, and uh, I take advantage of uh, being Italian. Uh, uh, you know. Every place has a lot of history, but uh, here in Italy, it's really countless. How uh, uh, forgotten pieces of art uh, and history that we have. For example, um, Brescia, my hometown, has uh, a Roman temple, uh, a Roman amphitheater, amphitheater sorry, and uh, it has also a medieval castle, and uh, it has also a Renaissance uh, square. Uh, it's very interesting uh, that uh, in uh, a circle of uh, less than uh, one kilometer, you touch pretty much uh, the heart of the European history in, uh, in a matter of uh, really uh, 25 minutes uh, walk. And uh, that was, uh, I grew up studying a lot of uh, history and uh, the Roman, the Greeks, the Egyptians, so you get into mythology. Uh, when uh, I took over the marketing uh, part of the winery, uh, I decided to, to do a little rebranding of our uh, labels and our wine. So I choose uh, names based on, uh, on what had a tangible uh, bound with our uh, with our area, with our room, and so I choose uh, two Roman, two Latin names. Sorry, for uh, our uh, uh, entry level Franciacorta, uh, which uh, one is Nitens, uh, which means uh, fine, elegant, and the other one uh, it's Audens, uh, which is a uh, Dosaggio zero, so it's a Padoge, 
and uh, audience means uh, um, very bold. Uh, then, uh, and this uh, it's uh, about history and uh, with the biggest uh, part of uh, the Roman uh, uh, history that we have here in uh, Brescia. Before having the Roman, though, we used to have uh, in our mountains here a population from uh, the Celts that uh, they used to to work uh, with the iron. That's why the Roman uh, founded uh, Brixia, the Latin name of uh, Brescia. And uh, so for the vintages, for our millesimati, I decided to, to use uh, um, Celtic's uh, deity. And I did uh, uh, quite a long study. And one of the positive side of the pandemic was that I have plenty of time to, to do my research. I also needed the help of my little cousins that um, speaks German because most of the texts are uh, uh, German. So, yeah, it took me about nine months, uh, but uh, I was very, very happy about the final result. Um, mythology played uh, a big part of the humankind history, and uh, I think uh, it's a good way to pay tribute to, to these. That's very interesting what, uh, what you're saying. Indeed, uh, in Italy, uh, history is alive. It's it's really a wonder to me that you can actually touch the history with your hands, uh, touch the stones that uh, that are thousands uh, years old, and uh, that Romans were t- were touching. And it's it's really um, about knowing your history. Uh, without it, you cannot go forward. You know, without uh, knowing well uh, where you come from who you are, what's the history behind behind you. So that's really, um, really impressive. And um, I know that uh, uh, you are making some hospitality facilities um, in your estate in Fonchicorda. Could you tell us about it, please, when it will be ready and what, what are your plans uh, for, for, uh, for, for hospitality facilities? Yes, yes. Um... Uh, Enotourism now plays a big role uh, in the world of wine. Um, we wanted to be part of this uh, as um, we always, we always uh, get very, very positive uh, feedbacks uh, from people that uh, visit our winery. Um, so we wanted to give uh, a better experience about, uh, about what we do and what we are. Uh, we are going to finish the new hospitality part, hopefully, at the beginning of April. We are running uh, quite fast uh, in the last uh, few months. Uh, one of the downsides of the pandemic for us was that uh, the construction site uh, had, to, had to stop for uh, several months. So we had uh, a big delay that... Uh, uh, the final result uh, was uh, more than one year uh, of uh, final delay because uh, of this uh, stop. But uh, we can stop uh, to think about uh, the delay and we started to, to work in order to, to get this new project uh, starting, running in April. 
we will uh, develop a new tasting room for uh, private, but also for private event. Uh, we are uh, planning to have um, a bit more of a specific event with our uh, friends and uh, customers. So a special wine dinner once in a while, maybe more in summer or... Uh, yeah, I would say in summer because... Uh, uh, it's probably the most uh, interesting uh, uh, season that we can uh, we can uh, uh, do something about, uh, especially in the open. Um, um, the, that we we did uh, a garden uh, with a couple of uh, gazebos, so a couple of patios, and it's going to be a very nice uh, place. Uh, but yes, um, we believe uh, you know tourism is going to play a, a, a very big role in the future, as uh, more and more uh, people are willing to to travel to discover uh, new uh, appellation, new wineries, uh, and uh, you know uh, offering something uh, extraordinary. It's always uh, important to to leave a good uh, memory of uh or a good experience yeah well i, I, de I definitely have to come when your tasting room is uh, is ready <laughs> it would be a lovely travel to french court area uh, have, i had an impression that it's really a paradise place to see during the uh, spring and uh, summer and it's not so uh, hectic and so busy and so touristic as garda but it has all the same climate and the same pleasures as uh, other lakes of northern Italy. So that's really pleasant, you know, all the smaller towns around um, around Lake Iseo and um, really, really good food, a lot of lake fish, uh, yeah. lots, of, lots of activities. And I think uh, the area, uh, the, the consortium is doing a great job promoting what's available in the area because I have a map. I, I got myself a map uh, where all the restaurants and all the hotels mentioned and other activities and some uh, train. Uh, there's a train uh, that you can take within the area. And, um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it should be a, a really lovely um, travel spot. Yeah, you, for you know, tourists. we don't have uh, the same facility of Lake of Garda. Uh, the Lake of Iseo, it's uh, very, very small compared to that, uh, but it's, uh, it's a very nice place. Uh, it offers lovely, if you like hiking, uh, you can go hike. Uh, there are plenty of uh, uh, routes you can go, uh, you can uh, go by bike. Um, and then we have uh, uh, the location. So it's quite convenient because we are very close from the city that offers, uh, again, a lot of uh, history sighting. Uh, it's about uh, 15 minutes drive. We are very close to the airport uh, from, uh, of uh, Oriol Serio because in 25, 30 minutes uh, drive, uh, you are there. We are not even one hour from Milano. We are one hour from Verona. So we, it's very convenient. Uh, probably. Also, the fact that we are not uh, as big as uh, the hospitality that you can find in Lake of Garda gives you uh, a, a better chance to, to live a, a better experience. Not too much uh, crowded, not too many people, but still uh, plenty of uh, good things to, to see and, of course, also to eat. 
Yes, definitely. I totally, I totally agree. Well, um, we are running out of time uh, slowly, uh, and I think I have uh, another question to ask you, and that would be about the main markets for Franchicorta, because that's the topic that is um, uh, discussed in uh, professional uh, during profession among professionals. So, what are main markets for you, and how you consider? Uh, to, what do you consider to be the most prospective for French Quarta? Main market it's uh, Italy. Uh, we wanted to develop our uh, national market before uh, moving forward, but uh, we are uh, developing quite fast uh, uh, different uh, key markets. I would say uh, Switzerland. Uh, the biggest market for French Quarta is Japan. Which might seem strange, but it's uh, a huge, huge market for uh, for our wines. Uh, How do more... you explain that? Why? Why Japan? Uh, I would say that uh, uh, first of all, uh, they they crave uh, uh, Italian products, and uh, they found. I would say that they found uh, uh, an alternative to the champagne and uh, an alternative to cava that was coming from Italy. So as they, it, it seems also that they, like they need something from Italy because everything that is Italian has a huge uh, uh, perception in Japan. Uh, I would say that out of uh, 132 wineries in, Fran- in France Court Appellation, uh, more than half of them uh, have uh, wines in Japan. Uh, and I would say also that it goes very well with their uh, cuisine, with their food. It's very easy to pair uh, Francia Corta with uh, the most uh, known Japanese food, which is uh, sushi and sashimi, of course. But also when you go uh, into a bit more deep into the Italian, the, the sorry, the Japanese uh, cuisine, you you find very interesting uh, uh, pairing with uh, with our wines. Um, after Japan, uh, United States, uh, it's a very interesting uh, market uh, together with uh, Canada. Then, uh, personally, I can tell you that uh, as, a, as a winery, Le Marquesine uh, works with a little bit uh, of uh, every country in the world, especially uh, something that we can say uh, strange or out of the spotlight market like uh, Malaysia, uh, Colombia, uh, Romania, and Bulgaria. Uh, you know, it's easier to be in the bigger market like uh, Germany, uh, like uh, United Kingdom, but it's also important to us to be also in very small market that can uh, have uh, a very niche request about uh, Francia Corta. And in, in, on those markets, what, what is your main uh, competitor to your point? Do you compete uh, Champagne or you compete other Trento Doc or uh, other sparkling wines uh, of the world to your point? Um, how it goes? Yeah, pretty much uh, we, the, the, the biggest problem that we need to overcome uh, is um, explaining that uh, we are uh, 
more much more similar to champagne actually we have the same working process more than being closer to the prosecco uh, i'm not talking about professional of course i'm talking about uh, the final consumer uh, they mistaken as uh, as a prosecco which is a tradition which is not a traditional uh, traditional method uh, so that's the th- first things we need to to overcome but uh, i would say that uh, our competitor uh, in the next future it's going to be more uh, altalanga and trento doc uh, as we don't have uh, enough uh, production to compete with uh, champagne cava or prosecco uh, probably it's going to be altalanga and trento doc the competition but uh, i would say that as long as the product is italian and the product is uh, high quality everybody has uh, a space to work uh, safely yes i re- i revised some numbers uh, after going to um French Quarter and, and uh, if if you take in French Quarter is really a niche product, a very rare on the market. Only only ten percent of French Quarter goes out of the country. Ninety uh, percent is consumed in Italy. So if you compare, for example, production of champagne and the uh, and the distribution of champagne, if we take export of champagne as hundred percent, then Export of uh, Franciacorta would be one percent. So that's how rare a uh, Franciacorta is in comparison to Champagne. That's that's pretty amazing, to my point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I can't uh, add anything because your analysis it's uh, extremely on point. Uh, we are uh, very small. The total production of Franciacorta it's around eighteen million bottles uh, per year, uh, which stands very very low compared to the 300 350 million that champagne can produce or the 500 or 600 million bottles that prosecco can produce so that's why i would uh, stay on somebody if i have to choose or or if i have to see a real competition it's between uh, somebody that can uh, fill uh, our niche because we are not going to compete uh, in any way to Champagne, as uh, our numbers are completely different. But still, um, it's a starting point, and uh, it's a way also to make people understand that even if uh, we are on the same level of uh, uh, production, so the vinification process is the same, we have difference given by the weather, given, given by the soil, and also given by the different approach that uh, we as winemakers uh, need to uh, uh, do in order to uh, maximize uh, what we have. Our, our competition is going to be on a smaller number compared to Champagne or Prosecco or Cava. So we, we need to maximize uh, what we can do as Francia Corta producers and uh, just uh, make people understand that uh, we share the same working process of champagne, but uh, we uh, we put our spotlight uh, on different uh, uh, characteristics of the wines. Yes, definitely. It's, uh, it's very important to find your own uh, way to communicate market. You know, it's not, it's not easy at all 
um, coming out with this new product, especially when it was first made just in the 60s. It's still very new to most of the markets, still very new. I totally agree. So I, I would like uh, to invite um, all the listeners uh, ask questions because as we have a few minutes left. Maybe you have some questions to ask. You can raise your hand or type in um, in the chat and I will read it. So otherwise, Andrea was uh, Andrea was very informative as usual uh, about all the aspects of French Corta, and uh, I think there is still something else to mention so please if you have any questions you're welcome well i can tell you that uh, if um, if you follow us on the social media and me personally whenever you you feel like you have any question uh, also in the upcoming future i would be more than happy to to try to answer you i really appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here on the podcast i really hope uh, i didn't mess up too many uh, words. I always try to express myself uh, the best way I can, but I know my English is not uh, so good as I wish uh, it was. But uh, yeah, thanks again. It was great. Thank you so much, Andrea. I think uh, everybody enjoyed this conversation. It was really great. Thank you. So I'm returning the floor to Stevie. Okay. Uh, You guys did such a great job. It was so thorough and interesting. I think you've covered your bases very nicely. I know Jamie uh, had raised the hand before in the very beginning. I don't know if you would like to. I invited you to come and speak, Jamie, if you'd like to come come up. But um, let, let me know. Otherwise, we are going to close up the room because it is uh, getting very late and we're coming to the end of the hour. Just one question quickly, Andrea. How many labels do you have and what? Um, how many bottles do you produce? So we have uh, uh, nine different labels of Francia Corta, two non-vintage, five vintages, and two Reserva. And uh, we stand at about uh, 450,000 bottles uh, uh, produced per year. So, Andrea, I mean, I think uh, I just wanted to go back to the fact that you said uh, Francia Corta is incredibly popular. In fact, it's your number one market. And I think it is, we have to give credit also to the consortiums, all the different activities that you've done uh, in China. I recall seeing Francia Corta um, very active in Japan. So, um, I meant to say Japan before. So I think that is one of the reasons, and it is a very good, solid success story of Italian wine in Japan. So I, I really appreciate that. Here comes Jamie. Hello, Jamie. You have to unmute your mic. Hi, hi, hi. Hello, everyone. Can you hi. hear me? Hi. Well, you were hi. on the trip with um, Anna, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. So, um, I just, because my network was not very well, I, I may just make some information. So I was very curious about that the fact that the, the winery has added two wines in 2012, um, it's the, especially for the Boyd Nature, it is the choice made by the climate change? Uh, um, well, it was uh, made not by climate change, but it was just, uh, you know, uh, most of uh, the 
job that we have to do is uh, uh, do experiments. Experimentation gives you a lot of chance to improve uh, or uh, to develop new wines, and that was the, the, the case. So we ended up uh, adding the Blanc de Noir and the, the Brunature that you mentioned. It was uh, a choice we decided to, to follow after uh, some year of experimentation, and it was just uh, a way to reflect uh, another, uh, another shade of our uh, knowledge and uh, experience in the Francia Corta vinification uh, uh, when, and winemaking uh, industry. Thank you, thank you so much. Because yeah, I I just very very interested in the climate change subject. I think so. This is why I asked the question. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jamie, for your question. I'm just going to quickly bring up Laika so she can tell us what's up next, and then we will close up the room. Hi, Stevie. Okay, I'm here. Um, so the next uh, session is going to be Wayne Young. Um, it's going to be on Friday at 6 p.m. Um, he will be inter- interviewing Marco Primosic. So okay, that's it. Very good. Alrighty, you guys, thank you so much. Andrea, Anna, Jamie, Laika, Joy went home already. And that is it. Signing off. Ciao, ragazzi. Ciao. Ciao. Alla prossima. Ciao, ragazzi. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.